0: Romans chapter 4, verse 23 is where we'll begin our reading in just a few minutes. So when you go outside and look into the night sky on a clear night, I'm not sure if it's possible around here. You have to be in the right spot, but uh, certainly in other places a little further away from uh, big cities, you can see what is called the Milky Way, our galaxy. It has about 200 billion stars in the milky way our galaxy stay with me and from what we understand with a naked eye you can see about 140 millionth of those 200 billion stars that's not many of 200 billion is it and when you get way out of town you can see a lot of stars even right here can't you in north georgia The disk of the Milky Way, we're told, is about 100,000 light years across. So if you think of a disk across, it's about 100,000 light years. That's about 600,000 trillion miles. You can see that number in your head, right? I have no idea. And the Milky Way is 2,000 light years thick. Our sun will take about 200,000 years, we're told, to make a circuit around our galaxy, the Milky Way. But then when you get beyond our galaxy there, we're told there's at least 50 million other galaxies. Some scientists estimate up to 100 million other galaxies as we just described, one of which has 200 billion stars. And now, is your mind blown yet? Let me show you where we are. This is a picture of the observable universe. This is what can be seen. And, and, and then they just had to draw a line because they can't see any further than this. The Virgo supercluster or... And embedded in that, the Milky Way is right there. You see it, right? You see you, right? You see Earth, right? You see our sun, right? One of those two. I mean, we, you can't even see the Milky Way on this picture of the observable universe. And these are estimations, but they're this circle that they've drawn, they estimate to be 93 billion light years across. God made this universe with a word. He simply spoke, as John Piper says, and all the galaxies came into being. And God holds them in being, according to Hebrews 1, by the word of His power. This God is so great that any attempt to portray His greatness falls infinitely short. But here's something we can see and feel without question. If such a great God who can create all of that and hold it together, if such a great God as that is angry at us, and has such indescribable power to back up his anger, then we are in the worst of all possible conditions in the universe. Nothing could be worse than to be opposed by the wrath of infinite power. And that is precisely our situation as humanity apart from Jesus Christ. As we've been going through the book of Romans, we've learned that God is indeed angry at us for our sin. We are hostile to God in rebellion against His authority. Romans one eighteen says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness righteousness. Now, God does that by giving us over to more and more sin wherein we pile up more and more deserving of His wrath that will be poured out at the end of time on the day of judgment forever in a place of everlasting destruction called hell. You see, God's anger at our ungodliness is our main problem in life. And it's the main problem in life for every man, woman, boy, or girl walking the planet, no matter where they live on the planet. And our only hope, if God is resolved to pour out His wrath on us, our only hope in this terrifying position our only hope is if God somehow himself intervenes and provides a way of reconciliation and as we've seen from the end of chapter 3 of Romans through chapter 4 of this letter God has As we begin work as we've working our way through Paul's letter to the Romans, we've been looking at it under the heading of the gospel of the righteousness of God, the good news of the righteousness of God. The good news that the righteousness demanded by holy God, without which we will be everlastingly destroyed, The good news is that the righteousness required by God, God Himself has provided and given to us through the life, death, and resurrection of His Son so that we can have all the righteousness God demands from us by faith in Jesus Christ. That is, as we take that righteousness as a gift. And so this morning we continue our study of the book of Romans. Romans 3 verses 25, 23 to 25 and also verse 26 kind of kind of summarizes the, the heart of the gospel of the righteousness of God. Uh, Paul says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that means we're in big trouble like we've been talking about. And the only way for any of us sinners to be justified is this, and we're justified, verse 24, by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The only way sinners like us can be justified is if God gives us righteousness. You you can't barter with God. You can't buy what you don't have because you and I are bankrupt morally and spiritually before holy, holy Holy God. We're justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. Verse 26 says it was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be, on the one hand, just, fully dealing with our sin, punishing unholiness and unrighteousness, and at the same time, the justifier, the one who declares righteous in His sight, the one who has faith in Jesus. And so all of a sudden, God set it up. God's fixed our main problem in Jesus. And today, if you trust in Jesus as your personal Savior, you can know that your God is just, your sin has been punished, but you can also be, in His sight, declared righteous before God because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Himself We've seen in, in our study that even the father of the nation of Israel, Abraham, back in Genesis 15:6, was justified by faith, not by works, but by faith in God's promise of Messiah to come. And so we pick up the text where we left off last week. As we turn the corner into chapter five, we, we begin reading in chapter four, verse 23 where Paul says, but the words, and he's quoting here from Genesis fifteen six, words speaking of what happened in Abraham's life, but the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but also for ours. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead... Jesus, our Lord, just like Abraham was justified, made righteous before God by trusting the promise of God about Jesus to come. So you and I, as we look back on the cross, He looked forward to the cross. We look back on the cross and the resurrection. And, and, and in as much as we trust Jesus, it will be counted to us as righteousness. Jesus, verse 25, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. And so the summary is this, same way Abraham gets justified, that's how you and I get justified, by faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus died for our sins. He was raised to be able to declare us righteous before a holy God. A dead Savior's no Savior at all. A dead Savior can't declare anybody righteous, but Jesus rose, and now we can be forgiven and justified. Therefore, chapter 5, verse 1, We also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation. I want to talk to you this morning from Romans chapter 5, beginning to look at the first 11 verses. Romans chapter 5, we'll just be in verses 1 and 2 and also verse 11 this morning. At the joyful fruit of justification. We spent some time on justification. Y'all got justification down. I hope if somebody asks you, what does it mean to be justified by faith? You can tell them. It means to be forgiven for all my sin and declared righteous before holy God by faith in Jesus Christ. It's that simple. Now we turn and Paul begins to talk to us in chapters 5 through 8 about the joyful fruit of justification. Today's part one of two or three Messages in Romans 5, 1 through 11. Here's the the truth I want you to take home from verses, particularly verses 1 and 2, but then also verse 11. If we have been justified by faith in Jesus, our lives should be thoroughly permeated with joy in God himself. If we've been justified by faith in Jesus, our lives should be thoroughly permeated with joy in God himself. What you see in verse 2 and also again in verse 11 of the text we just read, this whole subsection is kind of bookended by the word rejoice. Rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, verse 2. Rejoice in God, verse 11. What's the fruit, if you boil it all down, of justification by faith? A whole lot of rejoicing. And that rejoicing is not just in the salvation that we get from God. It's rejoicing in the God of our salvation. Why should our lives be thoroughly permeated with joy in God himself? Well, I want you to notice the following three joy-filled fruits of justification by faith. First of all, we see it in verse 1. The first joy-filled fruit of justification by faith is this. We have peace with God. Having said we're, we're justified the same way as Abraham by faith, Paul says, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, he's assuming that he and his readers at the church in Rome know God through faith in Jesus. Since we've been justified by faith, what's the fruit? What do we have in this justification? We have Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, here in, in this particular fruit, looks back because of past forgiveness. Because at some point before, right now, as Paul's writing these words, as you're reading these words, you've come to know God and you've had your sins forgiven through faith in Jesus Christ. You have indeed been justified by faith. And because of that, you now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. One commentator said, God does not confer the status of righteousness upon us, justification, remember we've been talking about that, without at the same time giving himself to us in friendship and establishing peace between himself and us. There's a legal thing that happens. We're declared not guilty and righteous before the bar of holy God, but simultaneous to that. The war is over between holy God and sinful man. Peace is established. And suddenly we're not just legally righteous, we are relationally made right with holy God. Remember how big God is? Remember how strong he is? That is a big deal. Those three words, peace with God, are amazing. Romans 5, verse 10, we'll look at this in more detail later, but it says, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. It goes on to make another argument we'll look at later, but While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. We were enemies. We were unrighteous, under condemnation legally, but relationally we were enemies of God. We've been made sons and daughters reconciled by the death of Jesus. The first joy-filled fruit of justification by faith is that we have peace with God. John Piper says God is no longer angry with us if we know Jesus. We are reconciled. There is no condemnation. All the power, remember back to the universe, all the power that once stood in the service of God's anger against us now stands in the service of God's grace towards us us. Make no mistake, hear the good news. The same God whose holy wrath had backed by all of eternity's power and infinity's power, who was against you, is equally for you. The God who was your judge and and vehemently so, with every ounce of his being, he had to be full of anger and wrath towards your sin. That same God is such a loving Father. To the same degree does he love you and work for you as your Father. Let me just say it this way. You can't comprehend any more than you can comprehend the size of the universe, the size of his love. Just like we couldn't comprehend the size of his anger and his wrath and the power that he has to carry that out. Nor can we fully. That's why it's going to take forever. That's why heaven is forever. By the way, what, what, have you ever been tempted to think you're going? After a little while, you're going to get bored in heaven. See, that's because of your finiteness. I'm trying to think of the right word. You know why we think we're going to get bored in heaven? Because we don't get infinite. We don't understand. I mean, I mean, bottom line is, you know, you may not know me, but you hang out with me for, I don't know, an hour, and you pretty much got me figured out because I'm not that complicated. But maybe a day, a couple days. I mean, let's just stretch it out. It might take you really a year or two to really get to know me, right, if I don't really open up, whatever. So we think with God, I mean, you know, I mean, I mean. we look at, we look at Revelation, and, man, they're worshiping God, and, and, that, and they're worshiping God, and they're worshiping God. And they're still worshiping God. I mean, every time you go back to Revelation 5, they're doing the same thing, aren't they? And you think, man, that's going to get old. Really? No, no, no. It's not going to get old. Because right now, we've got, we've got hundreds of thousands of years worth of praise built up just on what we know today. But hey, we don't know nothing. we only scratch the surface of the infinite love and grace and mercy of God. We have with God because we have been justified by faith in Jesus. And, you know, if you're here this morning and you don't have peace with God, there's no greater need in all of life. And here's what comes from peace with God, peace from God. Not only do do I have peace with God, I know things are right. Why? Because of me? No. Because of Jesus God says things are, are right with me and God because of what Jesus did for me in my place. And what that does in my heart is when I get up in the morning, I have peace from God. I don't have to sweat things I normally sweat. I don't, I don't, I don't worry about... It's not that I never worry. I mean, that's not the point. I, I, I blow it. I forget this. But when I'm remembering peace with God, I have peace from God and it changes my life. I have, as Philippians says, a peace that passes all understanding. It goes beyond what I can capably, intellectually understand. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, you don't have peace with God, you'll never have peace from God. But today, through simple faith in Jesus Christ, you can have peace with God and peace from God. If we've been justified by faith in Jesus, our lives should be thoroughly permeated with joy in God himself. Number one, because we have peace with God. But secondly, the second fruit that comes from justification by faith in Jesus is we have grace from God. This is is an awesome awesome reality and and a different angle on grace than than we often see in, in the Scripture. Verse 1 says, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, skip to verse 2, through Him we also we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So, so when we talked about peace with God, that was a result of past forgiveness. Now we're talking about grace from God, and this is our present, present privilege. This is where you and I stand and live today, and yes, of course, will for all eternity. But we have... As a fruit of justification by faith, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Literally, the the, the text here reads, Through Him, that is Christ, we have obtained our introduction into this grace in which we have taken our stand. Grace is described here as a place in which we stand. So can you all see this little thing that juts out from the steps right here? It's like an attachment to the stairs. Y'all see it where the pulpit is. So, just we're gonna call that grace for a minute. When I trusted Jesus, I took my stand in grace. Through faith, I have I have gained my access, my introduction into this grace in which I now stand. I'm now within the parameters of grace, and I stand there. All my weight rests there. I'm secure here and I'm glad grace is a lot more solid than this little block that they stuck on these steps, right? John Stott says it this way, justified believers enjoy a blessing for greater far greater than a periodic approach to God or an occasional audience with the king. Listen, we are privileged to live in the temple and in the palace. There's kind of two pictures going on here. Through faith in Jesus, you have access, by your faith in him, you have access into the grace of the Holy of Holies. You get to walk right in to the Holy of Holies in the temple. On the other hand, you get to walk right in to the throne room of Almighty God. And here's the deal. You get to do both, and you never have to leave either place. You live in the temple of God. You live in the throne room of of Almighty God spiritually. Our relationship with God into which justification has brought us is not sporadic but continuous, not precarious, Stott says, but secure. We do not fall in and out of grace like courtiers who may find themselves in and out of favor with their sovereign and therefore allowed into the uh, throne room and and at other times uh, banished from the, the, the throne room or politicians with the public. No, we stand in it, for that is the true nature of grace. Nothing, Joe, can separate us from God's love. Through faith, we have... Gained our introduction. The picture is that 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 faith. If this if this works, if this picture. Imagine a palace. Through your faith in Jesus, it's as if Jesus walked you into the Father's throne room and said, "You set up your camp right here. This is home. You never have to leave." Our Jesus is high priest, taking us beyond behind the veil. Out past the, the 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 outer courts, but into that most holy of places, where the presence of God actually dwells, into His very presence, and He says, "This is your bedroom. You never have to leave." Through faith in Jesus, we have access into this grace in which we now stand. Here is. It's important that you catch this. This is a present reality. Do you get up and live like that? Do you go to work knowing that you stand before the throne of Almighty God, knowing that you stand in the very presence of the the Holy One who dwells between the cherubim? You're right there in the Holy of Holies. You live your life that way. That's what Paul's saying. This we that it was faith that got us the introduction that got us the the, the got us ushered in. But this is home. Nobody can remove us from that place. Ephesians one is sort of driving at the same thing, I believe, when Paul says in Ephesians 1, 3 and 4, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, what you so worked up about, who has blessed us in Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing, listen, in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless, listen, before Him you're ever before him we live our lives coram deo which means before the face of god but, but don't miss it we live our lives in the presence of god we live our lives as if we are his sons able to climb up on the throne of heaven as he rules the universe and call him daddy we don't need a priest We live our lives on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant, where the glory dwells, where all mercy is given. We live our lives wrapped in Jesus, who is the propitiation, who is the mercy seat of Almighty God. Now, we could just keep going for days. Amen? Spurgeon said this, When God accepts a sinner, he is, in fact, only accepting Christ. Catch it. He don't accept sinners except they accept Christ, trust Christ. Are you with me? So the sinners that he accepts are ones that trust Christ. Virgin kind of glossed over that. When God accepts a sinner, he is in fact only accepting Christ. Listen, I love this picture. He looks into the sinner's eyes and he sees his own dear son's image there. And he takes him in. Every time the father looks at me, he sees the righteousness of Jesus. That's why I can stay in the throne room. That's why I never have to leave the holy of holies. That's why I'm forever before him. This is the grace of God, the fruit of justification. If we've been justified by faith in Jesus, our lives should be thoroughly permeated with joy in God Himself. Number one, because we have peace with God. But number two, we have grace from God. We stand in that grace that's just been described. Where's Freddie? It's your turn. Hallelujah! Hallelujah. <laughs> I saw Freddie last night and he said, Hallelujah! I said, What's wrong with you? He said, I've just been practicing. So, okay, well, there you go. Good time for that. Third and final fruit of justification by faith. We see it at the end of verse 2 and also verse 11. Again, verse 1, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, the end of verse 2, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. You understand what I've done in all three of those points? The first phrase of of verse 1 applies to all these other things we've talked about. You with me? Since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Since we have been justified by faith, we have grace. We've we've entered this grace in which we now stand. Since we've been justified by God, we have hope. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Verse 11, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. By the way, reconciliation is just another way of circling back to peace with God, another way of saying the same thing. This speaks of our future inheritance, hope for God's of God's glory. Because of justification by faith, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. John Stott says the object of our hope is the glory of God, namely His radiant splendor, which will in the end be fully displayed already. His glory is being continuously revealed in the heavens and the earth. Already, it has been uniquely made manifest in Jesus Christ, the incarnate Word, most notably in His death and resurrection. One day, however... The curtain will be raised and the glory of God will be fully disclosed. First, Jesus Christ himself will appear, the Scriptures say, with great power and glory. Secondly, we will not only see his glory but be changed into it so that we will be glorified, so that he will be glorified in his holy people, the Scriptures tell us then redeemed human beings who were created to be the image and glory of God, but now through sin fall short of the glory of God, will again, and in full measure, Romans eight seventeen says, share in His glory. Thirdly, even the groaning creation, Romans 8 says, will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. The renewed universe will be suffused with its creator's glory. All this is included in the glory of God in Romans 5 verse 2 and is therefore the hope of our, is the object of our sure hope. And because it's so beautiful, we exult in it we exalt in the hope of the glory of God. That's why we say here at East LJ, we've been captivated by Christ. Because we have seen and come to know the light of of the knowledge of the glory of God. We've got our first glimpse on the day of our salvation. We've seen the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, 2 Corinthians 4, 4-6, through in the face of Jesus Christ. You say, I've never seen His face. No, it's a descriptor. It's talking about His life, death, and resurrection. All you know about Jesus from the Gospels and the New Testament. All that you can see with eyes of faith. All that you know about what He has done in His life, death, and resurrection in that you see The knowledge, you have the knowledge, and you see the light of the glory of God in him. And it is that glory that captivates us all. And it is that glory that moves us to exalt in it. What does that word exalt mean? Well, it goes back back to your text in Romans 5 verse 2. It means rejoice. Romans 5 verse 11. It means to rejoice. Same word. We rejoice in this hope of the glory of God. A hope that's already begun, right? We already see the glory of God, in part. And between now and eternity, in ever-increasing measure, we'll see and enjoy the glory of God. But what's that really mean? Verse 11 tells us it means we are rejoicing in God himself. The glory of God is simply the light that shines from the sun, if you will. It's just the rays that come off of the the magnificence of God. But we're really rejoicing not just in the rays, not just in the heat and light that he produces in our lives. Showing us our sin and his grace and his mercy. We're rejoicing in his heart that produced it all. The heart of the God who so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him might not perish but have everlasting life. In 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 14, Paul says, to this, listen to this, to this He called you through our gospel that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. What does salvation give you? It gives you the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, that's why we say we're captivated. You have the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ through faith in Him. You have Christ Himself. Do you rejoice in Him? Does the word exalt describe your life? 2 Corinthians 4, verses 16 and 17. Paul says, so we do not lose heart. Anything ever happened in your life that makes you kind of lose heart? <clears throat> Mary Axelrod has been pointing at me the whole service back there. Look at her. Sorry, Mary, I knew I could do this and it wouldn't bother you. She's sitting there like this because she about cut her finger. Because she did. She cut about a quarter inch of her finger off last night. So now she's got to walk around like this. But anyway, I mean, you know, sometimes stuff happens like, like that. Bad, bad day. She's smiling. She's not actually losing heart. But I'm just saying, you know, stuff happens. Something happened to you this week. And, and sometimes, you just, I mean, relationships are hard. Work's hard. Right? Life's hard. Things come and it's not fair. It's not right. It's not good. But Paul says we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Well, Paul, what's your secret? How do you, how, how do you live like that? When everything outside of you is crazy, how is it that inside you're being renewed day by day? He tells us in verse seventeen, for this light momentary affliction. And we understand that somewhat Paul went through wasn't light, and it didn't last but just it didn't la- it lasted more than a minute. It lasted a long time. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us. How could he call it light and momentary? Listen to what he's fixing to say. He's it's preparing for us an eternal weight of what? Glory. Beyond all comparison. What we are going to see of God when we get to heaven, when Jesus returns, when all the limitations of our, our flesh are removed and, 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 and sin is done away and, and we can see absolutely clearly who He is, It's going to be so big and weighty and heavy and magnificent that whatever we go through on this earth will pale and will indeed be considered light and momentary. If it lasts all our life compared to eternity in the presence of that kind of glory, then it's momentary and light. That's what Paul's getting at. It'll be a while before we get there, but... In Romans 9, verses 23 and 24, Paul tells us the goal of all creation, judgment, and salvation. You want to know what the world's about? You want to know why God created, redeemed, saved, and will judge? You want to know what, what He's up to in this universe? Romans 9, verse 23, in order to make known the riches of His glory... For vessels of mercy, that's me and you that have trusted Jesus, which He has prepared beforehand for glory. Glory's all in there. Are you catching it? Even us whom He's called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. You know where all history's going? Is that on the final day and for all of eternity, God will make His own glory known through us who He has redeemed, the ones He's given mercy to who were created to share in His glory. That's what the whole planet, that's what the whole universe is about. The glory of God seen in the salvation of sinners, me and you. Well, I just think you ought to be a little more excited than that, but just saying. We have the hope of fully, perfectly, and eternally Enjoying the glory of God, the one who created, redeemed, sustains, and will eternally glorify us. And that hope should cause constant rejoicing, exulting in God himself. Such joy, according to Romans 5, is God's goal in our justification. He doesn't just justify you by faith to make sure you miss hell. It is so much bigger than that. He justifies you by faith first and foremost and for eternity so that you can see and rejoice in His glory. That you can get the beauty of the heart of God and that forever you can spend eternity getting to know His love and mercy and grace and beauty. All in the context of His holiness forever we've been justified by faith in Jesus, our lives should be thoroughly permeated with joy in God Himself because we have peace with God. We have grace from God. We stand in it. And thirdly, we have hope in the glory of God. We have hope in God. We have joy in God Himself. You are made for this. You were made for this. This is what life is all about. Your highest joy will come only in beholding now and daily hoping in the glory of God that is eternally yours by faith in Jesus Christ. See, here's the deal. You're pursuing highest joy. You're wired that way. Every person in this room, you spend your life, as do I, trying to find highest joy, maximum pleasure, ultimate satisfaction. Every one of us are wired that way. Why? Because we were made to find it in Him. Because we were made to exalt in the hope of the glory of God. We were made to rejoice in God. But here's the deal. If you try to quench that thirst at any other fountain, you're just going to waste time, money, energy, and the drinking. Because nothing will satisfy. Except him. Jeremiah said it this way. It's like drinking from a broken cistern that can hold no water. You're licking mud. There's no water down there. When you could be drinking from a living fountain of water that never runs dry. And see, that's not just for you today if you're an unbeliever. Christian, that's for you. Because some of us go back and suck mud. You all right? We're we're children of the King. We live in this place called grace. We have peace with God. We have the hope of the glory of God. And yet we go back to broken cisterns because we believe the world on a Tuesday more than we believe God. And we suck mud because we think we're going to get some kind of satisfaction out of it. And we wonder why our lost friends and family don't come to Jesus. Because we're not showing them that Jesus is worth having. We're agreeing with them in our lifestyles. And we're saying all the stuff they say satisfies, satisfies. Hey, y'all are right. Y'all don't need Jesus. You got this stuff, this position, this stuff to do. Some of that stuff's not wrong, but the fact is, if all they ever see us doing is sucking mud, if they don't see us distinct and, and, and at points breaking away and, and, and showing them by our priorities, by our spending, by the way we live our lives, by the way we talk, that there is only one fountain. This stuff, God gives us these good gifts to enjoy, and there's nothing wrong with those, but he's the giver. And I don't just have the gifts. I have the giver of all things. And he's called Daddy. And I talk to him. I live in his throne room. I live in the very Holy of Holies. I climb up to sleep on the mercy seat of Almighty God. There's no better place to be. There's nobody any better. And all the gifts don't compare to the giver of everything. If we've been justified by faith in Jesus, our lives should be thoroughly permeated with joy. In God himself, do you have peace with God? Do you, talking to you, I'm not talking to the person next to you or the person down the road. Do you know that you stand daily in the Father's throne room, that you live in the inner sanctum of holy God's heavenly temple? Do you have hope of enjoying now and forever that consummate of all pleasures and joys, the glory of God himself? Sir, ma'am, if you don't, you can know today. You can. You can be made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ. And having been made right with Him by faith in Jesus, you will become the heir to all that we've described here today. Believer, Christian brother, sister, are you rejoicing above all else in the hope of God's glory that is yours through Jesus? Does this hope of the glory of God change your perspective and your daily life. You see, if we've been justified by faith in Jesus, our lives should be thoroughly permeated with joy in God Himself. If we've been justified by faith, it changes everything. And if we find as our highest joy, God Himself, it changes everything about our lives.